Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. I need to make this podcast a challenge, but I'm not exactly sure the best way to do it. Hmm. I'm thinking. Okay. I'm thinking. Okay. I got it. Okay. Cue music. Welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm your host, Phil, who's still overcoming some back issues. And I am your other host, Senda. I don't, I don't have yeah, an opposite fine. of that. You're good. You, there doesn't need to be an opposite of it. Right. I, yeah, <laughs> you no, I just, there's an opposite. No, and I put that in the intro just to say that again, um, because um, my back has been hurting, we're not outlining or doing the kind of normal show prep we do. So if you're new to the show, um, if you're new to the show and when you get to the end, you're like, this seemed a little like all over the place. Just know that our other shows are a little more put together. Although if you get to the end and you're like, that was great. Um, then yeah, it's like this. You're fine. Like, yeah, yeah. It's always fine. like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just I, I throw that I throw that disclaimer out there. I feel like we're gonna do a good job today, but yeah. I throw that disclaimer out because we are flying without a net. Uh, yeah. But we do have a topic. We do. Do you want to intro topic. our topic? I would love to. Fantastic. Uh, so this topic comes to us from Nissa, who emailed us, uh, and is I'm going to read this, and it's going to immediately betray how okay, long. Okay. Wait. Yes. Another okay. disclaimer. Sure. When we get to the end of the episode and we talk to you about how to send in topics. Yes. And I think I say like sometimes we get to them like when we get to them. Yep. This is a case of that. This is what's happening and that's okay. It's still a good topic. There's not any commentary on the topic. Yeah. The okay, topic good. is excellent. The time for the topic is now. Is now. Yes. We are like wizards. We get to a topic Exactly when we intend to. <laughs> correct. That is correct. Take it away. Okay, perfect. So Nissa emailed us and asked or said, I should say said because this is not a single question. Wow, here we go. Okay. So Nissa said, I hope that May is treating you well. Yes, Crickets. so that, that was May of 2023. <laughs> With the recent death of a character episode, Phil mentioned that the new character might not use the same tactics that you expected to encounter um, or to counter with your obstacles. I then thought, where is the line where I am giving my players a challenge where they can use their skills and powers to the best possible effect? And where is crossing that line, right? So Bonnie uses his want of delayed, uh, his want? Wait, typo. Wall, maybe? Wand? Wand. Got it. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so Bonnie uses his wand of delayed ice blast wall in round one, so it will cut the battle map in two on round four. If on round three the floor becomes lava, then his spell is wasted. My laugh is an evil laugh. Ha 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 ha. Now die. Right. Good. So does that make sense? Maybe trying to checkmate the players too much. Thank you again, Nissa. I think this is an excellent topic. Um, we talked a little bit about it right before we hit the record button. Would you like to kind of sum up, like crystallize your thought on this? Like like just the piece of what, what we're going to be focusing on for this talk today. 
Yeah, I think the the primary direction that we're going to be heading is really a conversation about how you as the GM don't allow your meta knowledge of the the character's skills and attributes to um, impact the actions of your big, bad, evil characters. Right. Yeah, I think that's so I I guess that's what we're going to talk about. Right. Like maybe we're not going to be definitive, like whether you can or can't. But right. not let, whether you can or can't. But like the conversation we need to have is how much of that you let filter in. Right. Yeah, that's really I, the question. Along the to make things challenging. Right. Yes. Like to make things challenging. OK. Correct. So if I can start. Yeah. Let's talk about challenging, right? The concept of challenging in a role-playing game, right? So many role-playing games have uh, some sort of uh, advancement progression mechanics, right? So the most common, of course, is the leveling system, right? Like in D&D, Pathfinder, any number of other games where um, as you accumulate some sort of either currency or some sort of, you reach some sort of point in the story, your character levels up, right? And this is to emulate the hero's journey, right? You start kind of um, weak, without a lot of power, and through the course of your campaign, your character grows in power, right? And then, um, you know, you peak out at some point, end the campaign early or finish out, at, you know, max out your levels or whatever. Now, I say that's, I say that's many games, not all games. Some games you just start at a certain power level and you just basically stay there, right? Yeah. Okay. So where challenge comes in is when we get to encounter design and specifically some sort of conflict. It doesn't have to be combat, but my guess is as we talk tonight, combat will be our the example we'll go to the most. But it could be social combat. It could be um, uh, it could be uh, driving. It could be picking locks or breaking into something. It really doesn't matter. It just has to be a conflict, something where there's stakes. Uh, there is some sort of stakes present and there's going to be a use of mechanics, especially mechanics that include randomizers, right? Die rolls, um, bonuses, that kind of thing. Yes. Okay. So challenge means, and challenge is a very subjective term, but let's look at the extreme so we can figure out the middle, right? If a encounter is not challenging at all, right? Then it means that there is almost zero chance that the players will fail yes. to overcome whatever the obstacle is, right? They'll be able to just breeze through literally whatever they roll will work. Yes. Okay. On the other extreme end, if the challenge is near impossible, almost nothing the characters can do or the player can roll will overcome the encounter. Yes. Okay. So those are the two ends. The sweet spot, right? The sweet spot in the middle is a place where the difficulty is such that the outcome is not certain in either direction, but has a reasonable fairness to, um, it, it can reasonably be overcome, but maybe not. Now, there is a little bit of a gradient here, right? Because sometimes we want a little, a light challenge. And sometimes we want a like a, a harder challenge, right? right? So 
So you're just playing with that percentage. Like what percent chance should the players be able to overcome this encounter? And, and I would argue this sweet spot falls somewhere in the 40 to the 40 to 60 percent. Yeah, because right? if it is too low, it is not interesting. And Correct. if it is too high, then it is not interesting by way of being frustrating. Correct. Now, before we get to the challenging part, let me mention two things about the ends. Yeah. Sometimes you do want to make something ridiculously easy. So, for sure. instance, if your character is the Hulk and a bunch of um, soldiers, normal soldiers, confront you, the chance that you actually... Um, will fail this encounter is basically zero. Um, so this encounter should be ridiculously easy to show off your power, sure. right? Sometimes as a GM, you want to make the players feel good about where they are on the power scale. So you give them a easy challenge to let them know you are way more powerful than that. I have sometimes in leveling systems, will do this when characters hit mid-level. I will sometimes give them a challenge, not for a whole adventure, but here and there, that is of their like original level. Right. So that so they, they breeze right they through it. They see the difference. Yeah, yeah they feel sure. it, right? They're like, yeah, look, like, like we kick ass now. Yeah. The other end of that is sometimes you make a challenge nearly impossible, which is a message to the players that this is not the time to resolve this challenge. Yeah. Right. Like you confront the you you confront Baron von Badass, but within the first few rounds, you just get your ass kicked across the field. The idea from here is you're going to turn and run, and then you're going to discover Baron von Badass's weakness. You're going to adventure to acquire the weakness, and then come back and kick his ass. Right. Sure. So maybe yes. we have this encounter that's like super hard, which is a hint to the players. Right. Get out of here. You're outclassed. Yeah. Okay. That one's dangerous, but we could have a whole other conversation about that. Got to be, you got to know, you got to have a, the, just the right GM touch to know how to pull that one off without right. turning it into a TPK. Right. Um, normally what it is, is the bad guy just becomes bored and leaves, right? Like you present yeah. no real challenge. They open up a gate, portal, whatever, step through and disappear. And then you're sitting there licking your wounds like, wow, that sucked. Right. That was terrible. How, right. what, what do we do to solve this problem? Yeah. If you Correct. trust your players to turn tail and run, don't always think that they will. Just saying. It, it, As if a player they, who if has they not, not in to that run, situation yes. when they should have because we're just like stubborn bastards about it sometimes. Also, <laughs> also, this does not work in certain systems. For instance, in older versions of Savage Worlds, sure, um, yes. you could one shot and just get enough. Absolutely. Um, you know, you get just, enough raises to yep. wipe them out. Yeah. You could okay. just explode those dice enough and just like there goes the campaign so let's Goodbye. get back to challenge right? sorry yes. no no it's good it's fine so good so we covered the ends right we talk about reasons why you might do one or the other but by and large you really want your adventure to kind of float in that low middle and high challenging place right we're just going to call that the 40 percent chance of success the 50 percent 60 and 70 right just that that little range right there Sure. Right. Because some encounters, you want them to be lighter. You move them down to like the 40. Some encounters, you want them to be a little harder. You move it up to like, I'm sorry, you move it to like 70. Then you want it to be harder. You move it to 40% chance of success, that kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Okay. How then do you do that? 
Uh, good. And I should have an answer now. No, uh, if you do, idea. if you do, you do. And if not, it's fine. I will. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more and then you jump in. Okay. I mean, it's interesting because we've been talking about combat, right? And D&D has a specific system for managing this in that they assign, um, you know, levels to monsters so that you have an understanding so that theoretically, mechanically, you can look at something and say, you know, I need to create a challenge of X for my party of five players, assumed five players that cover all of these niches. And therefore, the challenge rating of this encounter will be why right because this is i and and the reason that i bring this up i think is is because there's a lot of fiddly bits and feels to setting up an encounter from a prep perspective that ends up working into that spectrum in the right place so it's an attempt to mechanically assist you so a couple things about challenge rating right yes (laughs) so Challenge rating isn't perfect. Depending on your version of D&D, challenge rating will be up and down. But challenge rating is um, challenge rating is good in that they tried. Yeah, they, that's right? that's what I'm saying. Right? Like, like they, they legitimately tried. tried to come up with a formula. They, now they tried to give you some guideposts at right. least. And and what that formula, not to get overly um, intricate, and I actually don't really know the full formula, but it goes something like this. On an average roll, the average roll in a um, on a D20, right, is a 10 or higher, right, or a 10 or lower, right? 10 is the middle point, right? So if you rolled a 10 and you stuck a bunch of bonuses on to that based on level, you get a number, right? That would be your approximate um, chance to hit, right? And then there's like a bunch of assumptions in D&D. I know this was true in third edition because I went to a seminar on this in Gen Con. There's a bunch of assumptions that designers make that you acquire a certain amount of equipment, magic items, et cetera, by certain levels so that they can start to predict things like your armor, your fighter's armor class should be approximately, you know, 20 by this level, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Yep. yep. Other games deal with this differently. And that's the part I wanted to get to is that the way you make something challenging is you have to understand the system that you're playing in. Yes. Right. You have to (laughs) understand the dice mechanics, the mechanical rules and things like that. Now, for instance, in the game that we play, um, Long Live the Queen in Cortex, um, there is, there is a way to kind of dial challenge, but it's not as simple as just like a challenge rating. Right. Right. Um, you have to understand how the die pools work and um, how the dice work. So right. when I want to make something easy for your character, it tends to just be a 2d6 roll against whatever your role is. Right. Because we know that we, what we should say is my standard average minimum roll is 2d8s and a d6. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if I want something to be easier, I need to, I need to be packing less dice than you. Yeah. Um, if I wanted to stay challenging, right? Yes. I can either turn up the die type, right? I could make them two d eight. Yep. Or I could, um, I could put some distinctions on the scene, yep. which let me get some extra dice into yep. my pool. Yeah. So now I'm rolling two d eight and a d six or three d six, that kind yeah. of thing. Yes. And it's not perfect, right? These, um. The more complicated the the, um, the more dice in play, there are chances the more of ones. Swingy and, it gets, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. So, uh, 
the way that you come up with challenging is that it has to start with system mastery. You have to understand that this, you have to understand the mechanics of the system you're playing and you have to understand like where your players are approximately on that power curve. Right. And then you have to like look at the mechanics and be like, where do I need my opposition to be on this power curve to be in that 50, you know, that 40 to 70 percent space? Yeah. And and that includes how many players do I have? Right? Uh, yes. Because yes. if it for our long live the queen game to make it, I think, hopefully a little bit easier for you to manage challenge sometimes, especially because those dice can get really swingy. Um, if it was just me by myself, sometimes I think it would get very interesting. And we gave me two NPCs to help balance that out. Right? Correct. So sometimes we use just you. Yes. And sometimes you bring the girls with Pull you. Pull in the girls. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. allows us to do different things with challenges. Yeah. Um, the other thing, right, I will quote the great Sneezak. Um, the other thing that will make encounters challenging is to have more than one thing that needs to get done. Yeah. Right. The classic being the, the evil cleric is casting a ritual to open the portal to the great old ones. And the cultists are trying to stop you from reaching the cleric. And now you've got to kind of divide up your people for who is going to fight the cultists um, and who is going to try to stop the ritual, that kind of thing, right? That's another great way um, to make something challenging is to put more than one challenge into the room. Several small challenges now become challenging because you are dividing up the characters. Yeah. Right. So the collective strength of the characters gets diluted because they have to spread out over multiple challenges. Yeah. OK, so I think so those things kind of now go back to Nissa's question about how much meta knowledge should you use? Right? Yes. Yes. OK, so I'm going to tell you my philosophy on this, my personal sure. philosophy. I'm really um, interested because this impacts me very personally. <laughs> sure. My, my philosophy on this is I only use meta-knowledge about, I, mean, I won't even say it's meta-knowledge. I will only use knowledge about the characters in encounter design if it is reasonable that the opposition has either one, studied the characters, Mm -hmm. or two are smart enough to just handle defenses for the most obvious things. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. N but not specifically character things. Right. So just like maybe the, you know, trying to sneak into this castle, um, the people who built it were smart enough to, um, make the most obvious route up to the castle, uh, actually very slick because, you know, if you look at it and you're like, oh, that's clearly the easiest way to climb in. But actually, it turns out the designers recognize that they made it very um, sheer. So it's actually very hard to climb. Right. Or or that very easy spot puts you really close to the guard tower for just that reason. Right. Because, yeah. of course, they would put it there. That's logical. Correct. So to do. Yeah. Right. Now, if I had an arch villain who was like, whose goal was to like kick your ass. 
Yes, me specifically. Yes. Yes. And they took the time to study you. They they watched other combats with you or they or they broke into headquarters and stole your personnel file or um, got a, a sample of your genetic material, whatever it is, right? Cast scry to see what you're up to. Then I am inclined to be like, yes, I will use some actual like things about you. I will build defenses or I will figure out a way to like thwart you or turn them on to, you know, against you kind of thing. Yeah, I would posit that that's the sort of thing that if it's happening, um, you kind of have to give your players some kind of idea or foreshadowing that it is happening or how or or be able to basically in game explain how do they know that? Sure. Right. So that it doesn't just feel like a gotcha. Yeah. If you've never met Baron Von Badass before, like then Baron Von Badass shouldn't just turn around and, you know, thwart you um, unless and again, there's no nevers in this. Yeah, right. This is unless all very- <laughs> this is going to be the opening volley of a of a of a arc where you're going to defeat Baron Von Badass after they hand you a defeat. Right. Yeah. yeah. If the initial opening scene is that you're a shepherd and Baron Von Badass just comes blazing through the village and lights it on fire and now you're out for revenge. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's like my, that's my general rule about this. I don't let my meta knowledge of the players get too much onto challenges like combat challenges. Now I will say when I am doing encounter design, like for instance, when I was doing Aux, I would very purposely, when I was building out the the scientific encounters, I would make sure that like, for instance, there were some biological ones because like that is Jerry's specialty, right? And the mechanical ones are Bob's specialty, or sometimes it would be a computer one to make sure that there was something for Chris to engage with during the session. So in those cases, I actually did use some meta knowledge, but not to thwart the players, but rather I used that meta knowledge to make sure that I could engage everybody at the table. Yeah, I was actually going to say, I think it's really key that as you're designing an encounter, you use your meta knowledge, right? So that you give everybody something to do, right? Saying that you shouldn't use your meta knowledge to um, to just squash them is definitely different from saying, um, I know that these are the cool things that my players are interested in doing because these are the skills they took. So I want to make sure that there is a challenge that gives them the opportunity to use that skill that they took but that's very different than um you know setting up an encounter and then being like oh well baron von badass knows that all of your magic is ice-based because you've been focusing on ice-based powers for the last five years in character so he is like completely encased in fire at all times right Right. yeah (laughs) yeah now if this is like the sixth time you fought baron von badass you know might know that now he might show up encased in fire and be like yes i am you know Exactly. Okay. Um, So yeah, so I in general, don't let my NPCs harness that knowledge unless through story, there's a reason for that. You can justify. Yes. Let me tell you two gaming stories. Sure. (laughs) One good one, one bad one. Sure. 
Okay. I'll tell the bad one first. Okay. When I was younger and get ready for, uh, Oh boy. Get ready for our editor to squeal in delight. (laughs) When I was younger, I, we had a campaign of Heroes Unlimited by Palladium. It was Palladium superhero game. And, um, one of the characters had, um, we he randomly rolled for his powers, right? There was a table you could roll on. Randomly rolled for his power and got invulnerability. Woof. Right? Which is basically like you just do not take physical damage. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Ever, period, done. Wow. But you are susceptible to magic, psionics, gases, some things like that. Sure. So let me tell you. That for this short-lived campaign run by one of my friends who I will not name, there was a guy who wielded magic in every adventure. Yeah. Just so that that character could be hurt. Yeah. Right? So he, he never got to actually just be invulnerable. Right. Like, he never got to just be like... I'm going to just take this hail of bullets, right? It would be like, oh, you walk into a room and there's a magic glyph on the floor. Now you get shot yeah, like, and you take damage, right? Um, and if that happened like once. Sure. Right. I mean, you'd be like. Yeah. Like, you, okay. We're, we're ramping up into some real challenges now. Cause I'm not just walking through this stuff anymore. Right. Yeah. But if it happens multiple times, you're like the fuck. Like. I mean, we could have a whole separate conversation about. having the potential to just accidentally create a character in a game that is based around taking damage as a method of, you know, causing interest and challenge and then like having a a way that a character can just basically dodge that completely and backing the GM into a corner where they feel that they have to do that to make challenges. But maybe that's a different conversation. Legitimately. If the GM had just said, don't take like, no, just please roll don't again. take that. Yes. Yes. Because this, once the player has it, the thing is they legitimately rolled that and they should get to yeah, enjoy and take an advantage of that. I mean, that's really cool. I imagine yes. that's not a thing that you would roll often. No. no yeah. No, no. Okay. Yeah. That's the, um, that's the not good. For, that's like the right. not great story. Let me tell right. you what I think is a better story. Sure. So. I had this um, campaign in um, Iron Heroes, the um, Monty Cook game. Uh, It's a D20 fantasy game that's like primarily martial powers, right? There's very little to no magic in it or whatever. And the culmination of this campaign was to fight the Demon King. Now, I didn't for the entire campaign have any stats for the Demon King whatsoever. Right. Right. Never had them. We get to the final encounter where the players are going to like step through this portal. um, And then they're going to go to this place where the demon king is about to cast this ritual um, and go kick his ass. Okay. So I stopped when we got to the end of the adventure, like they're standing at the portal. We're done for the evening. I said to the players, I said, okay. I said, I would like a copy of all of your character sheets. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> because I'm going to build the Demon King. Yep. Based on your characters. Sure. Yeah. Right. I told the players this right you up told front. Told them right? straight up, right? You weren't straight being up. sneaky. Yeah. Correct. So I was like, because they wanted a legitimate 
challenging fight. They were sure. 18th level yeah. and they wanted like a real, you know, real throwdown. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So I took those character sheets and I poured over them and I studied, I knew every which way those characters fought. And so um, I built, purposely built the opposition to the players, like with specific things in mind. Like I like I knew that one of the players had like six attacks. Right. So I gave the Demon King. Um, what was it? It was like it was for that game. He could charge and keep moving. Like he yeah. could run you over. He could he could charge attack once and keep moving. And didn't have to stay in range of you. Correct. Yeah. Because then this way, um, the player with the multiple attacks would have to move to close in with them and couldn't get his multiple attacks. Yeah. Right. Unless another player had stopped him and then right. he could, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the challenge it, was they were going to have to overcome that. Yeah. Correct. So like I purposely, I used all that meta knowledge with the players, on, with the players knowledge in advance to build a specific challenge for them. They did wind up eventually beating it because, um, again, I wanted to put it in that 40 to 60 range, right? This was the end of the campaign. Like they're really yeah. supposed to. Should be hard, but should doable. Should be hard, but should be doable. Yes. Now, let me tell you that my numbers weren't perfect because mm -hmm. on their opening attack, they did so much damage. Oh, snap. <laughs> Luckily, I had, so I had written in that there were these energy pylons that were being used for the spell. Right. Being fueled by the essence of the demon king and that he could draw on them right. um, if he was taking too much damage. Well, I had to use like a whole fucking pylon in the first oh, round man. of combat, right? Because oh, he's good. Because as good as my estimates were for how much damage they could do, they, they also went home oh. and went to work on <laughs> what their opening moves should be. Yeah. And they came back with this like devastating combo of opening moves. Right. That, yeah. Um, that they just like, they like drained a ton of hit points, like in the opening volley. And I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, well, I'll deplete that pylon. I still have three pylons left. Like, hopefully yeah. they can't do it again. Yeah. Um, and then like, you know, and then the fight progressed and it wound up ending with this epic moment. I'll just tell the story real quick and I'll stop. The um, the Demon King is attempting to charge through um, Bob's character, the archer. Bob's character is not particularly strong. It's opposing strength checks. I have a bonus where I should pretty much be able to just run Bob over. Right. So Bob rolls high. I roll a two. Oh, boy. And Bob wins the check. Yeah. And so the Demon King, who had been running, literally trampling them all night, bounces off Bob onto the ground prone. Wow. And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> because now prone means yeah. that like Bob gets like his bone. He gets his like, quote, sneak attack damage in that yep. game called precision damage. Yep, yep. The other players immediately close in. 
Yep. Right. So he can't just go bouncing around. Well, to get their attacks and he's prone. So all of their attacks are, you know, easier. Like, so at that moment, like when he bounced off Bob and we were like an hour three of this fight, I was oh, like, yeah. oh, You're like, oh this I'm like, is it. I think this is it. Yeah. Like, I think this might be it. Uh, and it was like, we actually had to take a 15 minute break. So Bob could calculate all his damage from oh. his attacks. <laughs> <laughs> like he wow. had hit I, I don't even remember how many times he hit it was so many times and there was precision damage and there was like all this like there were these extra things he could do for damage and so it was just like I was like all right everybody like go get a drink of water yeah. like while Bob's Take adding up these numbers <laughs> Bob right. will do some addition <laughs> and then we like we returned Bob announced the number and then the demon king died um yeah. well he like died really well um yeah it was great. But that is like the one time where I was like, I will specifically do this shit, right? Like I'm going to make the anti version of your characters. Yeah. With the moves that specifically counter a bunch of your stuff. Yeah. Now there is a genre where actually this is pretty well tolerated and you can do it a lot in this in this one particular genre, which is superheroes. Yeah, that's true. Superheroes is a genre where if you want to um, turn, you know, their powers against them or have a bad guy who specifically thwarts them or whatever, that's like genre specific. It's like genre tolerated. Yeah, it's part of the expectation. Yeah. In fact, it's actually a better thing to do, right, to, um, you know, come up with defenses for their powers, then, and I, Jerry will stand by me on this, my least favorite superhero trope, which is take away their powers. Uh, that one is not fun in games very much. No, take away their power in a superhero game is the lamest trope. I hate it. Beyond, I hate it with a passion. Like if I'm fire guy and you make like fire extinguisher guy to come kick my ass like sure. game on yeah but if you're just like oh power negation now you're just like a normal human blah, <laughs> blah. i don't want to play um, we're over it over yeah. it yeah well i think and i think that might actually even though it's um maybe a a fine line to discuss i think that that might illustrate kind of the point that that we're really getting at, which is there's a difference between just basically making it so that nothing your players do matters. Yes. Right? Like just removing their agency by using the game to be like, haha, never mind. None of your stuff works. Um, versus um, saying this is a very difficult challenge or this is a moderate challenge or whatever, right? Or like this bad guy happens to have a thing because he was watching you and he prepared. Which is different than just being like, yeah, everything you do, it doesn't matter because I have, you know, the opposite or the negation of it right here. 100%. Yeah. Right. That's, that is, um, I think that's really the crux of it is that uh, one, the kind of encounter where you are turning the player's assets against them or, or coming up with defenses for them really needs to be kind of a really special encounter. It shouldn't be the third door in the dungeon. Right. Yes. <laughs> if we were playing Long Live the Queen and suddenly every person that I had an encounter with that I am sort of being sneaky spy against, like, was suddenly immune to my, like, flirty wiles, that would suck. 
Um, like yes. we would have a problem because that is like that's like taking away the superhero powers, right? Like this is how we make things happen. Correct. Yes. If that's not happening, then there what's 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 if left Ab- about that, right? If like Abilene can't seduce a target. What are we like, here for? What are we here for? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. Like so, that. That is. Um, that is the point. Um, yes. So, yeah, the to kind of loop around, because I think we're getting to the end of the topic here is to go back to Nissa's question, right? It's always good to make encounters challenging, right? It's always good, like to try to tune that that challenge, uh, depending on where you are in the adventure. And like, you know, you want some rooms to be easy, some rooms to be difficult, that kind of thing. Like, there's nothing wrong with making something challenging. When you start mining character information, I only think it's a problem if you don't have an in-game explanation for why that works, right? Right, like, or it, or if it happens every time, like what you were describing with the guy who yeah. <laughs> couldn't take damage except under these very specific circumstances and then every single encounter <laughs> suddenly is those very specific circumstances, right? Exactly, like, yeah. That's a problem, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, so as long as the story supports why that's happening, I think it's okay. Although I, again, it's, um, it's like, hmm, let me say this, this kind of technique is like truffles, right? You don't put it in everything, right? (laughs) You put it in when you're looking for, you're putting them in for a specific effect, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not salt, Right. Like challenge making things challenging is like salt. Put it in everything. It's great. It makes everything better. But but mining character information to specifically build defenses against what the characters do. That's like truffles. Only put them in once in a bloom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I think that that covers. That's a pretty good. Right. Yeah. I think that's great. All right. Good. You want to wrap this thing up? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. Um, In order for us to get out of the show, uh, we must first talk about another show on the network. What do you got? I have Thacko with Advantage, on which you can hear Ange and Jared, who love talking about RPGs and specifically D&D. Together, they share insights into the games they're running in the campaign journal and then tackle a variety of topics that affect the game in the DM's workshop. And the fun thing, maybe you'll even pick up an ancient D&D factoid about a previous edition of the game that you will never use. Yes. The funny ones, the funny ones. Of course. Yeah. Oh, cool. Hey, Senda, where is the one spot on the internet where people can find us? Yeah, you can find us at misdirectedmark.com slash panda. And that has all sorts of information about where to find us everywhere. Uh, And once you have selected your favorite way to get in contact with us, Phil, what can they do with that information? Well, just like Nissa did. Uh, send us in a topic. Um, just, you know, be warned that we don't always get to them right away. <laughs> Sometimes um, it's May of last year and it's January of this year, you know. Correct. <laughs> so, uh, but send us in your topic, your idea, your thought, your question, whatever it is that you would like us to apply our vast knowledge of both playing, GMing, GMing advice and game design towards. Right, whatever that is, um, let us know, and we will do just that. We'll put our noggins together, 
We'll tell you some stories and we'll come up with a solution for whatever it is that is on your mind. Uh, and the whole reason we're doing it, uh, much like Car Talk does it to make sure your car keeps running, we're here to make sure your game keeps running. Uh, and the way we do that is we take all of those things, we apply our knowledge, help you out, and then this way you have more you have more better fun when you run your games. Hooray for more better fun. Hooray. It leads to all the other things. Play more games, play with more people, stay in the hobby longer, and experience all the benefits for being in this hobby. So do it. Send us something. Yeah, send us something. I dare you. Please. <laughs> please. You say please, please. I say I dare He's you. like, I dare you. And I'm please, please send us your topics. Very good. Um, <laughs> if you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, consider going to our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons get access to our Slack Room for Life. It's got a bunch of lovely people in it talking about all sorts of different things. You can even pop into the very chaotic, funny, and sometimes um, deep and thoughtful Friday afternoon lunches. But mostly it's just chaotic. Just a lot of chaos. Just yeah. A lot of chaos. A lot of chaos. Um, yeah. But anyway, you can join us there. Um, at the higher levels, you can get access to some of our stuff in design, or you can get access to um, the stuff from our AP uh that's uh that's always good things children of the shroud right now fun yes. stuff i'm yeah. a big fan also cliffhangers my god but if you start now you'll only have one cliffhanger the one at the end because you can just listen straight through all the other ones and not have to wait there you go just saying <laughs> hey, um, besides our Patreon, which if you're supporting our Patreon, thank you very much. We appreciate it greatly. You're helping to keep the lights on. If you're unable to support our Patreon, there's another thing you can do. It just takes a few minutes of your precious time, but it is a huge, huge um, help to us. Send a what is that thing? Yeah, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcatcher you are listening to this on. Or next time you see someone on your social media of choice saying something like, gosh, I wish I could find more TTRPG podcasts. I'm looking for something system agnostic or I'm looking for something about GMing or I'm looking for something where I can send them a question. You know where to find us. And we really appreciate it when you throw our name into that ring. Absolutely. Cool, cool. Say, Senda, what exactly should I do to make a challenge for Aveline? Ooh. <laughs> This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Show me what you got, hey, show me what you got, show me what you got, hey, show me what you got, show me what you got, show me what you got, show me what you got. Bloopy. Clicky. Yep. Okay, it did the click. I got waveforms. I do too. All right. Full of popcorn and fried uh oh no, what's the the ratatouille? Fried ratatouille balls. Weird, but okay. Yeah, I just was snacking this afternoon because I realized the timing is weird. And so I was like, I'll have a snack. And then um, now it's really weird. Yes, we're recording in the evening, Ryan. <laughs> um, I, I'm fine. Um, I'm just a little sore. It's been a full day of doing stuff. But uh, I'm okay. I think this is the end of my doing stuff for the day. I'm going to record with you. And then I think I'm going to relax after this. Good.
Oh, and that heating pad feels really nice right now. Okay, good. <laughs> good. That helps too. Mm. Okay. Mm. Okay. I just, I, yeah, okay. Never no, mind. No, I'm sorry. I'm go. sorry. What? No, we should record because I can save all of this nonsense for the Bamboo Lounge. Okay. Well, then we should. Yes. All right. Good. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Let's, let's count in. Okay. Bloop. Oh, goodness. I have a yawns. <sighs> Bloop. <laughs> Wow. Bloop. Show me what you got. 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 There we go. <laughs>